Well, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Complete Student Podcast. I am so excited for today's episode and our guest that we have with us. Today's guest is Dr. Richard LaFleur. He is an awesome friend of mine, an amazing guy, uh, a doctor, and you'll have to tell us a little bit about that, and a pastoral counselor. So just to start us off, Richard, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and uh, um, maybe your, your field of study? Sure. Well, first of all, I, I appreciate the invitation. Uh, thank you for having me on today. Um, it's an honor to be with you again, and it's always good to see you and spend time with you. Um, so yes, uh, uh, Dr. Richard LaFleur, I am a psychologist. I am a narrative psychologist. Um, I study, there's this huge word I'm going to use. Um, I study phenomenology, which when we break that down, I really look at the stories of people's lives. And um, the reason why that's important is, um, you know, we all have stories that we live through. We have our experiences that we, we gain as we go through life. And those experiences, they tend to shape our identity. They also shape our purview of the world. So I study the stories of people's lives. I study the lived experiences of people. So for instance, uh, one of the areas that I do a lot of work is with uh, veterans, and I study the experience of reintegration. What happens when they go from military life back to civilian life? And of course, when you talk about military life, you always bring in things like PTSD, anxiety, depression. So I study what happens when someone transitions from military life to civilian life to help create a narrative that helps move them through uh, the healing process. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because where we are in Bellevue, Nebraska, we are a huge military community um, off at Air Force Base. So we have a lot of military people, students and families. So as you work with those, some of those families, what would you say? How does some of that work impact some military families, particularly their kids or students? What do you what kind of effects do you see on them as it relates to that? One of the things that actually came out of my study was um, it's called intergenerational trauma. And um, what happens as someone transitions from military life to civilian life, the experiences they bring from the military back to civilian life, they can't always transfer or translate that into our world. And um, some of the things that they might have seen while they were deployed, while they may be part of the military, um, it's hard for them to connect and reconnect with uh, family members at times. Uh, one of the main parts of my study was the inability to disclose uh, stories or narratives that, have, that happened while they were deployed. Um, sometimes it's so traumatic that they don't know how to put it into words. They don't know how to say it uh, to their family members. And as time goes on, that also affects relationships and it affects the way they behave in the real world. So a person who is struggling uh, with the inability to disclose, they may suffer from anxiety and depression and PTSD, and they may suffer silently while family members don't know how to interact with them or how to help them because they don't know what's going on on the inside. Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. I'm going to tailspin a little bit because I uh, 
just really like what you're saying. So one of the things that we've been talking about within our youth ministry is some spiritual practices. And we haven't talked about this spiritual practice yet, but it's been something that's been on my mind for a while because I think it's one of those spiritual practices that's maybe um, underutilized or not talked about enough. And that would be the spiritual discipline of, of confession. And is there an element to confession that brings some sort of healing or spiritual healing to a lot of these families or students uh, that are dealing with some of this, some of this trauma of not being able to tell their story? Yeah, confession, that's, um, that's really the heart um, of psychotherapy, right? So when we think about psychotherapy, we go back to the early days of, I'm sure we've all heard of Sigmund Freud. And um, a lot of people have these um, weird um, ways of thinking about Freud, right? But Freud's work really got into revealing what was concealed. And when we confess, when we're able to vocalize and, and really take our thoughts to a level that we can articulate it in such a way to express ourselves, um, it does bring freedom. It brings a sense of relief. It brings the moment where I can just say what I'm feeling, say what's going on on the inside and expose it. And that's what confession is. When you confess, the word tells us when we confess our sins, it brings liberation to the self. So um, that's a very important tenant and something that I think we all should you know, pay some closer attention to. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing on that. Um, so as we're talking about military families, one of the characteristics of most military families is that they never uh, stay put, right? They're always moving. Uh, they get assignments and they got to move somewhere. And uh, we see a lot of that for you yourself. You're not from here as in America. Uh, you grew up somewhere else. Tell us a little bit about that and then how you ended up where you're at now. So yeah, I grew up um, in the Caribbean islands. Um, it's the very last island in the chain. It's Trinidad and Tobago. And um, I spent the first 17 years of my life there. So all of my childhood memories um, and experiences, um, you know, they were made there. And, um, and then when I was 17, just about to turn 18, I migrated to the United States. You know, growing up in, a, in an island or in another country, a lot of times people look to the U.S. as a way to, um, to explore life and to expand their knowledge. And that's what it was for me. It was a way of finding a better way of living, a deeper way of living as well. So I moved to the United States to continue my education. And I first lived in uh, Florida. Um, I attended a Florida Bible College for a little while, and, um, and then I transferred over to Valencia, uh, Valencia College and did some work there. Um, and that took me, um, it took me a while to, to really find myself and my place, because at 17, 18 years old, you know, and I, we can talk about this in another podcast, that's still in the middle of puberty, right? I'm still trying to find myself. Um, so there were some moments where I didn't do the things I was supposed to do and finish school. But then I moved to Atlanta um, about three years after that. And that's where I started to really ground myself. Um, I went back to Lee University, got a degree in theology. Um, and that really opened my purview, my worldview to life on a different plane. Um, when I left Trinidad, I actually had a degree in business. Um, so I started working for a couple of different companies, which was fine for a while. I was the, um, the chief financial officer for a pretty large nonprofit here in the city. 
But after 14 years of doing that, I realized there was more to my life. And um, I went back to school, got a degree in psychology, and that just opened up my world. It's almost like I fell into my calling. And um, I just kept going from my um, undergrad to master's to PhD. And um, once I got to my PhD, it was like, this is what I was designed to do. And, yeah. um, and that brought me to where I am today. So I, I teach at the university, and I also use my degree in theology to do pastoral counseling, um, you know, here at Mount Perrin. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So one of the um, biggest issues that we've, we've seen over the last year especially, but it goes much further than just this last year, but has been this topic of race in America. Uh, even just last night um, from the time that we're recording this, um, there was another police shooting in Minneapolis that's caused a lot of outrage and protest and all of this stuff. And I know that we've had some conversations about it in the past, but um, coming from your background, I just want to um, I want to take a deeper look at your perspective of sort of the racial issues that are facing America today, especially because you didn't come from America, but came from a, an, an island that was colonized. And so just kind of wanting to explore that and so that we have a different perspective than maybe the narrative that we've been uh, we've been listening to and hearing predominantly here in our culture. You know, it's um, it's a very uh, deep and a very wide conversation when you look at race and race relations. And, and you are right. Coming from an island that was first conol, col, um, colonized, <laughs> colonized by the British, um, so we were under the British rule. So Trinidad and Tobago, um, the, the original people are called the Caribs and the Arawaks, which were very similar to the Native American Indians. Um, and when Christopher Columbus, um, and I'll put in air quotes, discovered <laughs> Trinidad and Tobago, um, they didn't obviously understand the culture. They didn't really see the people there as people. And they were trying to, I guess, revolutionize the world with their way of thinking. Um, so Trinidad actually went through the Spanish reign and then to the English reign. But Trinidad was colonized by the English, which means that we were governed by the English system for many years until 1972. But the difference with race relations in the islands compared to the United States is the system that was set up was then handed over to the slaves and to the people of Trinidad and Tobago. When we look at race in the United States, there is still the path where people are looking for something to be given back to those who have been treated poorly and unfairly. So for me, when I look at race and I look at the, the, the word reconciliation, until, until something can be done where what was taken away from the past is given back to those that were most underserved, it seems as though race reconciliation is going to be an uphill battle for a very long time. And when we look at the structure that has been put in place now, we are living under the structure currently in the United States of what was done during the colonization of the United States. 
right? We still have the same sort of structure of government. We have the same structure of power. And until there's a shift within the power and the structure, what we're doing is just reinforcing the structure that's there. So to talk about reconciliation, it's, it's important to talk about how we interact with each other and how we build relationships with one another. But those relationships can only shift when the power structure is addressed. And for me, that's when I compare like what I came from to where I am today, there was a shift in the power structure in the islands. And when, when the slaves were given power and we became an independent people, that's when things started to shift for the islands. So a lot of times we would, I would you know, reflect and, um, and try to understand how come racism wasn't so prevalent growing up in the islands. And I remember from a personal perspective, I only encountered racism when, um, when I came to the United States at 17 years old. I never had an encounter of racism until then. And I had to then learn about the history of race in order to understand the experience of racism. Yeah. I, I My mind takes me at a couple different places. Um, one is just talking about as Christians, you know, how does our faith kind of inform our action moving forward? But even before that, I think my question is how come, why do you think that not everybody sees that side of what you just mentioned about racial reconciliation. Uh, and when you say what side, the side where we have to address the power? Yes. And just kind of the, the, the historical look at it. And, um, you know, there's so many different opposing viewpoints when it comes to race in America specifically. Um, and obviously, the more it seems like conversation comes up, the more entrenched in our own viewpoints that people seem to get. But um, I guess, one, how do you just get to a place where we can have these conversations? And it's it's not that we're just entrenching ourselves more on our side, but how how is it that we don't see different different viewpoints from where we stand right now? Well, for one, um, race is very politically charged in our uh, society today. So when we talk about society and we talk about culture, we talk about the different rules, the norms, the guidelines by which we function every day. And race, it's one of those words, and, I'll, and I don't mean to diminish it into just a word, but it is a word where the meaning has changed over time. So when you go back to the historical context of race, um, and if we were to go back to the Bible and ground it in the word of God, I mean, we are one race, the human race. So if we were to look at this from a, from a faith-based perspective, it means that when we, we examine the word, treat each other the way you want to be treated, that's an even playing ground. That's an even playing field for everyone because we are created by one creator and we are created um, from Adam and Eve. That's where it starts. 
But when we look at race today, the meaning has changed. It has shifted into a political and economical and in some ways a spiritual definition. So in order for us to begin to have this conversation, we, we must go back to the even playing field to see each other as people. We've got to see the humanness in each other. Yeah. Until we do that, um, we can't begin the conversation. The other thing we have to take into consideration is the historical and collective trauma that has driven the meaning of race. Because when we go back, and I know we've all heard this in the media today, you know, Jim Crow laws, and we go back to segregation, and we even go back to the Constitution where blacks were not treated as 100% human. Until those shifts are made in the structure, they will always be because they have been passed down from generation to generation. I mean, the truth of the matter is you and I didn't live in that time. You and I didn't have those experiences. Those are not parts of our narrative, our lived experiences, but they are parts of the narratives of the generations that have come on, that have gone on, that were here before us, and they lived that life. And they pass those stories, right? This is my work of narratives and stories. They have played generations until now. So until we can go back and really understand, because reconciliation doesn't really begin today. Reconciliation begins with understanding the, the net worth of collective trauma through generations, and when we can address it from the past and bring it forward, then we can start to use the term reconciliation um, from the perspective of where do we go from here? Yeah. Yeah. So coming from a student perspective, you know, we've we've had these conversations before, but a lot of students um, struggle with how to have this conversation, especially um, having the conversation from an emotionally healthy place. So when we're talking about teenagers, and I know you have two teenagers, um, and you're talking with them, how do we go about having these conversations in a healthy, emotionally healthy way that is productive and, and not doesn't lead to, to negative emotions or hatred or anger or those sort of things? Um, and that's a very good question. And for me, as a psychologist, um, that conversation begins at home. That conversation begins with parents. Parents who, first of all, understand the word of God. And as a parent, so I, I'm going to give you from the, psych, the psychologist perspective, but from the parental perspective, I really try my best to follow the lead of what Jesus did while he was on the face of this earth. When he was here, he came to destroy the power structures, right? So that's why the law was abolished and he brought in grace and mercy. So as a parent, I first have to approach this conversation with my boys from a place of grace and mercy. And that grace and mercy simply means, how do I extend the love of God to those around me. It doesn't matter what they look like or who they are or what their background is. My role is to extend God's love through my conversation, through my actions and how I treat people. So it starts with the conversation at home. 
that conversation at home, then I can go into the depth of the past with my kids so that they have an understanding of why this is such an important topic, which hopefully gives them the ammunition that they need to think and the information that they need to process so that when they have conversations with their friends, they are not just listening to the rhetoric or just to the media, to the negative side. They have a balance from the parental side. They're the main part of their life that provides guidance and, 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 and nurture into their lives. They can speak from that space to others. So how do we help our students? It starts with our parents. I would say the next step would be, you know, the church. The church is an important part um, in this conversation. But the church also are not the parents, but the church comes in as a support system to help facilitate these conversations. So it's about creating that safe space for our students. And, you know, you and I, we, we were on a, um, an Instagram live um, a few months ago at the beginning of the pandemic. And we simply created a space for students to talk and to share. And that was such a powerful moment for our students because they had a, a, a safe space to share what their thoughts were. And it, no one was judged. No one was you know, spoken against. They just got to share. And just so that you know, that Instagram Live that we did, that netted a, a paper that I wrote that was published in um, Canada based on that Instagram Live. So when we have moments like that where we get to share and we get to then share it with the world, we are also creating a model for those who are looking in to say, oh, wow, this is what the church is doing. They're creating these safe spaces so our youth have a space to really just share their thoughts. Yeah, you're going to have to share that, that paper with me. Definitely happy to. <laughs> That's awesome. So I know you already touched on it a little bit, but I just want to see if there's any final thoughts about this as we talk about kind of our faith in this whole conversation. How does our faith inform maybe some of our actions moving forward and not just the conversations we have, but, you know, I remember last summer when we were talking about this, I remember having a conversation with some of our students and we were asking the question, you know, when we say walk the walk, and I was asking the question like, okay, does posting something on social media, like, is that walking the walk or is that talking the talk? And they were all like, no, that's walking the walk. And I'm, to me, I was like, well, that's just words, you know? <laughs> so, but, but for them, that is action. And I guess my question to you is what sort of, what kind of other actions can we take based on our faith to help, um, to help guide us in this conversation? And I, I like that. Um, you know, I think I think activism is good, right? I think um, there's a place for it, and there's a way to do it. Uh, I mean, the life of Christ. I mean, he walked into the temple and he became an activist, and he he threw the tables upside down. He's like, "What are you all doing? You know, this is wrong." So there is a place for that, but there is also a need for discretion. And the word tells us there's a time and a place for everything. So because something is posted doesn't mean that I have to respond and I have to give my opinion. Now, if you feel strongly about something, yes, that is one way. But the way you say it, and this is where the word of God really comes in. The way you say things makes a huge difference. And I use that not only from the word of God's perspective, 
but also from relationship perspective too, how we relate to each other. So I would say the first thing that we can do to, to really bring in the word of God into our lives is yes, you can post, but be careful what you post. And for our teenagers, just remember, Everything you post online creates a digital footprint. And if you, uh, you know, one day you're looking for a job or something and you post something that's, you know, really negative, that can come back to hurt later. So be very careful what you say. But the second part of our faith that really helps inform what we do, it's really simple. Take a look at the life of Christ. I really believe his life was about activism. His life was about doing things differently. And notice, in everything he did, he always went to the underserved populations. And he went to the people, because which is why he said, you know, go into all the world. He never said parts of the world. He said all the world, which is why we are so scattered today, so that we can reach those that need to be reached. So... The power of salvation, right? The miracle of salvation is that when I accept Christ into my life, I get to think about life from a different perspective. I get to think about life with this, this new truth, this new information that pulls me out from where I was to where he wants me to be. So if I'm going to really use Jeremiah 29, 11 and follow the plan that God has for me, because that plan is to make sure that I succeed, right? And by me succeeding means I'm doing my best to align my, my life with the words of Christ. So when I think about treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated and love one another, and, and when I look at just simple principles like that and to accept all people because they are God's creation, that's me really filtering in the word of God and then bringing it out in the way I behave, the way I act, the way I treat people. And the last thing I would say is that Christ was about building relationships. He, building relationships, it's how we relate to one another. And relationships are very important. So how do I help affect a change? I find people who are different and I have conversations. I learn from them because by me accepting them for who they are means that they are eventually going to accept me for who I am. That's really respecting one another. So if we're building relationships based on the foundation of the word of God and what God Christ has given to us as his example, then we are really moving the ball forward to bring, bring us closer to reconciliation so we can then learn how to talk about these deeper, more difficult topics in life. Yeah. Man, thank you so much, Richard. Everything that you said today is super helpful. I know our students are going to be incredibly blessed by your words and what you had to share, your perspective. And so I appreciate it. Before we go, any any other thoughts, any last things that you want to mention that maybe we didn't hit? Um, yeah, one more. Any closing thoughts? Well, first of all, you never ask a, pa a pastor or a professor to say any closing thoughts because, you know, that goes along to on one more thing before I wrap the sermon up. <laughs> but, no, I would say I think it's important for our students today to have a, um, a safe space. And if you, if you have something that's really troubling you or something that's heavy on your heart, to seek out your mentors, your leaders, you know, like you, you know, if it's your students, to seek you out, you know, Pastor Jay, and, and 
know that whatever they say, it's, it's held in a very safe space because I think we are all about the business of helping our teenagers through these difficult times. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. So if um, just before we go, if anyone wants to follow you and find, uh, find your work, how could they do that? Maybe we'll link some of that to some of our show notes here on this. But where can we find you? Where can we find your work? Yeah, the simplest thing is to go to Linktree. It's uh, Linktree Dr. LaFleur. Um, and all of my um, you know, social media and my website is all listed on there. And that would be the easiest way to get a hold of like, my work. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your for your time and for this conversation. We appreciate it. Hope you have a blessed day and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being with you guys. Thank you.